0: Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, and I'm back for another episode of Mike on MedTech. Joining me as always, Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. How are you doing today, Mike?
1: I'm well, thank you, Sean. How are you?
0: Good. Uh, so last podcast, which if you haven't listened to yet, was, was uh, You Should listen to that first, if you haven't, that was sort of part one of this, uh, what ended up being a two part. We had intended to cover my latest editor's letter in the November, December issue of uh, medical product outsourcing, which was a holiday wish list for industry. And it included things like an improved uh, PR image, uh, you know, focus on pain management technologies, uh, reimbursement CMS reform. So a few, few of the items that were covered in there in the first one, we got so caught up with the uh, improved uh, industry image and uh, changes to FDA regulations, things like that, that it, it took up the entire episode, which, uh, you know, is, is fantastic for those interested in, in that aspect and maybe not so much for those who are listening in for, for the other topics, but this podcast is, is to address some of those other topics, so... Uh, Mike, if it's okay with you, we'll jump in right with uh, where we had left off last time, and, and that was uh, looking at the uh, pain management technology. So my question to you is, with the continuing backlash against opioids for pain management, it seems like a great time for the medtech industry to gain ground on introducing solutions in this effort. Do you foresee success or at least ground being gained by the industry with that effort? Well, it's a good question,
1: Sean, and again, thanks for the opportunity to have this discussion with you and your audience. So to uh, encourage companies to work in this area, some in your audience may be familiar with the FDA Innovation Challenge that was launched several months ago uh, to try to provide incentives for medical device companies to develop devices, or in other words, drug alternatives to um, not just pain management, but the whole, uh, as you alluded to, um, the opioid use disorder. And just coincidentally, a few days ago, the FDA announced the results of uh, that challenge. Um, there were more than 250 submissions into that program, and there were about eight of them that were accepted. In the interest of full disclosure, I had several in there, including a couple that were uh, ex- expected. Uh, uh, sorry, ex- accepted. Um, oh, and so I'm now looking forward to uh, working with FDA uh, to try to help bring some of these technologies to market for the benefit of people who are suffering from these problems. So uh, long story short, uh, answer to your question, Sean, I think this is one of many areas that the device industry, I hope, can shine in the next year or two um, uh, in in trying to address this, this, uh, uh, this, this opioid addiction problem.
0: Well, and, and given that you're involved with a few, obviously you're going to have to uh, uh, temper your response uh, uh, based upon that. But, um, and, and I am asking you a little bit out of your element. I know marketing and PR is not your first, uh, your first uh, priority uh, typically when you're brought into a company, but can you speak to a little bit of, of some of the challenges of the industry or some of these pain management companies uh, that are experiencing problems with you know, whether it be uh, uh, exposure to, to doctors or or getting patients the, the information they need. I mean, do you, why is it that the pharma industry, and perhaps it's just money, and maybe that's your answer, but why is it that the pharma industry is able to uh, blanket uh, for lack of a better word, healthcare with these opioid-based uh, uh, solutions and the device industry, which has non-addictive and, and hopefully, in, in many cases, non, uh, non-problematic uh, devices, have such such a challenge.
1: Well, it's an interesting question, Sean. Look, there's no question about it that that money is obviously an important uh, uh, piece of this puzzle. And for anybody to suggest otherwise, quite frankly, I think it's just naive. However, we also have to keep in mind that money is not the only piece of this puzzle. There are other pieces of the puzzle that are important as well. So from a marketing perspective, I think... Uh, medical device companies have the advantage uh, or have an advantage over drug companies of offering a potential non-pharmaceutical, non-addicting kind of a solution to this problem. And I thought, Sean, when you first started asking this question about marketing, specifically more from a medical device company perspective, uh, if a company was um, granted access to this uh, program, could they use that to their own marketing advantage? And of course, the short answer to that is absolutely yes. I'm sure that all of the companies that have been um, admitted into this program will uh, use this to their own advantage in in terms of being able to say that, yes, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has deemed our technology to be uh, significant enough and potentially valuable enough to allow us to get into this program. Um, Similar to companies that use the breakthrough designation, Uh, as you know, Sean, I've uh, done a lot of work with breakthrough designation uh, device devices and companies do the same thing, you know, they'll even go to potential investors and they'll say, hey, the US FDA has deemed our technology to be a breakthrough uh, technology, uh, you should give us money to,
0: to help us uh,
1: develop it. So yeah, so, so marketing has a, a broad
0: um, connotation I think in, in this context and actually you bring up a good point because i've i've had more than on one occasion uh uh not for the marketing or pr aspects but companies have have approached me and asked about uh funding and and getting that investment dollar and apparently uh, you know i i don't know which which devices are are more apt to get funding and which ones uh, uh have a have a tougher time, but I know specifically pain management companies have come to me and said, you know, do you know where there are a source of investment dollars for pain management technologies because they, they are, are having an, uh, a very difficult time finding it. Uh, so perhaps it's, again, just an exposure situation, but it seems that uh, something like this, having this program would help in that effort as well.
1: I think absolutely, Sean. I think it's common sense. You know, any uh, entrepreneur or startup or small company is going to think that their technology, regardless of what, is it, what it is, is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But if they can go to a potential investor and say, hey, it's not just us that thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but the FDA thinks it's the greatest thing because they've, uh, they've, they've in, invited us to join this um, uh, innovation challenge or they've given us breakthrough designation status, uh, you know, I, I think it's just common sense that that's going to increase the likelihood that a potential investor is going to sign a check.
0: Right, right. And and I'm not familiar with this, this innovation challenge that the FDA is doing uh, enough to know who maybe some of their industry partners are, if they have them, as maybe mentors or advisors or part of the judging, whatever it is. But uh, it, it certainly would not hurt to have uh, some of these companies gain exposure to some of the larger players or some of the more established players, uh, again, for for possible investment, for I mean, certainly the the advice and the their recommendations and their guidance is certainly appreciated. But it may ultimately be that you know, for example, and I don't know anything about anything, but if a Medtronic was involved and saw a technology that they were mentoring, if they saw real potential in that, they may be interested in a in a in a purchase. So uh, you know, I'm a big fan of these in, in uh, these investment opportunities or these uh, innovator programs, innovator competitions, for that very reason, for the exposure it gives these companies, for the guidance it gives startups and entrepreneurs, uh, I, I think it's just all around good for the industry. Well,
1: I would agree, Sean and uh, to, you know one thing that we talked about in the part one of this podcast is the black eye that our industry has taken over the last few months and years because of all of the negative press. This is some positive press This is, this is some things that we should be able to be uh, proud of and, 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 and be able to say to people that uh, you know, these are positive things that our industry is doing. And by the way, you know, one of the things that I would also mention is it's incumbent on us, on our industry and specifically the companies and the people in it to get our message out there. And this is why I think it's unfortunate when uh, there's so much bad press out there and companies, medical device companies, um, are invited to participate in discussions, are invited to participate in newscasts or articles, and they choose not to. I think, quite frankly, that's, that's shameful, if not cowardly behavior. Uh, I think I understand why you know companies don't do that. The lawyers are basically saying, uh, you know, keep your mouth shut when you're talking. Uh, but uh, but unfortunately, Sean, that doesn't solve any problems if if people are not communicating, and if you only get one side of a story out, in this case, the negative side, uh, you are by definition going to have a one-sided uh, conversation. So. That's another challenge that I think uh, I would offer to our industry in the future, and that is we need to be more proactive. We need to get out there and, and, and deliver our side of the story to, 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 to present this, you know, Fox News would say a fair and balanced
0: approach. Well, that's that's definitely some great advice, and and nothing nothing you've said that I don't uh, agree with wholeheartedly. Uh, so, with that said, uh, one of the additional challenges, and this brings us to a uh, uh, next another point from my holiday wish list, was uh, with regard to reimbursement and and perhaps perhaps CMS reform, and and uh, you know that we, talking about the opioid and the pain management technology kind of mirrors other areas where advanced uh, med tech and and you know, better, more affordable health care is certainly being called for. One of the big, biggest obstacles to that uh, is the current uh, reimbursement process. Do you think the current process is going to go through any sort of reform, whether it be in 2019 or, you know, coming soon? Or is this something that you think is on the radar for industry, CMS, you know, what have you?
1: Well, let me just make one or two quick disclaimers uh, as we get into this part of our discussion, Sean. First of all, I don't claim I don't market myself to be a reimbursement expert per se. However, because of the important relationship between regulatory strategy and reimbursement strategy, um, reimbursement is something that I have gained a lot of experience with uh, in the last several years, and. The second uh, disclaimer I'll make very quickly is, as you and your audience know, I work not just as a consultant for companies but the FDA. I also work uh, as a consultant for CMS. So I see some of these reimbursement issues from both sides as well. That said, just like regulation, I think reimbursement is in a constant state of uh, uh, involvement, if you will. Um, Some of the new ideas that people are talking about today are really, in fact, not new. I guess it depends on how you define the word new, um, but I do think that we're making progress. Uh, I think that um, there needs to be better transparency on the reimbursement side. One of the, the things that I've been talking about for a long time, um, you know, we have the opportunity to have a pre-submission meeting or a pre-sub with the FDA in advance of, uh, of our actual submission to minimize or eliminate problems further down the road. Why can't we do exactly the same thing uh, with reimbursement in CMS? You know, why can't we create something analogous to the pre-sub for, uh, for CMS? It's very difficult for a company, especially a small company, to go to CMS in advance and, uh, and have that discussion, but it really should not be difficult. Uh, another thing that people are talking about of late, I mentioned the Breakthrough Designation Program a little bit earlier in today's podcast. The challenge on the reimbursement side is if a company gets breakthrough designation status and uh, gets their device onto the market more quickly through the FDA, because by definition it's a breakthrough technology, it probably does not fit into an existing reimbursement code. And therefore, the likelihood of the company getting the device on the market, but then nobody is able to use it and nobody benefits from it because nobody can buy it, you know, now we've just wasted a colossal amount of time and money bringing a device onto the market and now we have to jump through all of these reimbursement hoops. So there has been some discussion and I've been involved in some of this myself, uh, creating a special uh, reimbursement pathway uh, an accelerated pathway, if you will, specifically for breakthrough designation uh, devices, um, which is a terrific idea. It's just that it's taking a very long time for that to happen. Um, and I just, uh, I don't know about you, Sean, but I don't have the patience for, for, for all of that, you know, for for years and years. It's like, let's just get everybody in a room and get it done, you know, but maybe that's a little naive.
0: No, and I I certainly understand the frustration there. I mean, this is something that, you know, we hear calls from, from, you know, the president, from Congress, from uh, industry, from patients. They all want, uh, you know, uh, med tech that's going to make more affordable. You know, doctors are asking for it. They want more affordable health care, better quality health care. But, you know, when it comes down to, well, right now this is this is only uh, able to be paid for if the patient can afford it you know with the prices of of these technologies that's the the furthest thing from from affordable health in in many cases so it can well, be very it, frustrating
1: it's very easy for many folks including the politicians to get on the TV and say these things but you know what uh, <laughs> put your money where your mouth is so to speak because I'm down in the trenches every single day whether it's you know in FDA or in some cases CMS and reality is not always as uh, what the politicians would have us believe.
0: Exactly uh, so the the program you mentioned with regard to breakthrough it, it you know it sounds like it might be an adaptation on the parallel review program, which I know you're familiar with, uh, and that is where you know a device goes through FDA approval as well as uh, or FDA review, I should say uh, alongside the CMS uh, review uh, to to hopefully speed up the overall process, so you don't get that where there's a, a Product on the market that no one can use and no one can benefit from. Uh, is there any way to expand this program or adapt it for a more broader selection of of products or medical devices to be reviewed?
1: I think the short answer is yes, and it should be. Just for the the benefit of those in the audience that might not be as familiar. What Sean is describing is if you're bringing a device onto the market that is truly new or novel, um, where it does not fit into an existing reimbursement code, Is there a mechanism in place where at the same time as going through the FDA approval process, you can go through the CMS reimbursement process, Um, and this has been uh, come to be referred to as the Parallel Review Program. In the interest of full disclosure, Sean, I served on a working group in Washington, D.C. 15 years ago, actually a little more than 15 years ago, when we were trying to do exactly this, and one of the impetus... Uh, for, for doing this is I was one of the principal architects for one of the first struggling stents to come onto the market here in the United States uh, around that same time and we realized that getting it through the FDA was not enough if people could not get reimbursed for it because then people couldn't use it and the, the company wouldn't make any money and more importantly no, pa- no patients would benefit. So at the same time we were going through the FDA review process, we went to CMS and we got actually two new reimbursement codes established prior to that particular product uh, granted that was a combination product not a medical device but nonetheless the principle is the same prior to that product getting onto the market and that was one of the very first times in history where that happened I thought at the time that that would be the beginning of a trend and that there would be more and more companies doing the same thing there have been a few companies that have done that but not nearly enough uh, and so um, you know, not to be cynical here, Sean, but I hear people talk about you know these these ideas as being new and uh, and so on. It kind of depends on what your definition of new is. Some of us have been you know talking about these things and working on these things for a very long time, but nonetheless, these things do take time, I suppose, and communication uh i think is uh is a is a good way to continue to make progress
0: yeah, absolutely, and uh perhaps some of the uh, some of the news coming out that we we discussed in the in the first part of this podcast, some of the exposure the industry is getting, albeit negative at the moment, uh, can perhaps. Uh, result in some, some uh, folks looking at CMS and looking at the reimbursement process and taking those suggestions that, that came out of groups like yours 15 years ago, and they say, you know, hey, this, you know, we've done this before. There's no reason why we can't do this on a, on a broader scale and, and take some of those initiatives and, and really put some, put some in motion. Uh, you know, whether that's 2019 or, or not will, you know, remains to be seen, but we can only hope.
1: Bottom line, I think, uh, and this is a good thing, this is making progress, that more and more people in our industry are coming to realize that uh, not only do we need to be thinking about our regulatory strategy uh, early um, in our product development process, we also need to, to be thinking about our reimbursement strategy early in our product development process. and. I would take it one step further. We need to be able to integrate uh, our reimbursement strategy with our regulatory strategy. uh, And perhaps, Sean, this could be a topic of of a future discussion because one thing I've learned in playing this game for so long is that oftentimes what we want to say from a regulatory perspective uh, about our product in terms of our high-level labeling, for example, is diametrically opposed is 180 degrees out of sync from what we want to say from our reimbursement perspective or perhaps from a product liability perspective. So it's important to take sort of a holistic view to look at not just regulatory in isolation not just reimbursement in isolation not just product liability or intellectual property or business development or any of these things individually we have to look at the big picture
0: and it's and it's funny you say that because for throughout you know throughout my time covering this industry i've i've heard you know across the board uh, on the manufacturing side or the development side of a device, kind of the same thing, you know, let's let's get these people in the room up front and not just your your design engineers in the room, but, you know, get your molding guy in the room, get your uh, machining guy, get your electronics guy, get your packaging guy, you know, on, on your end of things, the regulatory side and, and reimbursement to a degree, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you, you get those guys in the room, let's get marketing in the room and let's get, you know, the uh, – the uh, physician, uh, you know, reco- uh, the advisors, and, you know, kind of get as many. It, the room's going to have to grow, but, you know, getting these people <laughs> in the room as, as, as early as possible seems to honestly be the, the ultimate, the best solution, um, you know, and, and whether or not you can get everyone on the same schedule and, you know, remains to be seen. But at least you're, you're setting an environment where you're incorporating ideas from all these parties early on. Well, I I could
1: not agree with you more, Sean. And whether you realize this or not, what you just described is one of the most basic tenets of the design controls. Uh, And it's it's sort of the philosophical equivalent of uh, what Socrates tried to teach us a long time ago, Um, uh, and that is uh, knowing what we know and knowing what we don't know, and most importantly, knowing the difference between the two. This is uh, paraphrased in the design controls. We can talk about that perhaps a different time.
0: Sure, absolutely, uh, because unfortunately for this episode, we've, we've run out of time. So uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of Mike on MedTech. On behalf of Mike Drews, I'd like to wish everyone a happy new year and uh, happy holidays, and uh, we'll uh, speak to you next time in 2019.